This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee, where we passed another milestone in the COVID crisis. On Tuesday, we surpassed 1 million confirmed cases. Then on Wednesday, there were 10,000 more. The death toll has now exceeded 19,000. What does the governor have to say about that? Nothing yet, but Ron DeSantis did release a three-minute video on YouTube last night saying vaccines are on the way, but supplies are limited. Uh, the top priority will be our residents of our long-term care facilities. They are at the greatest risk, and this vaccine could have a tremendously positive impact on them. While we are encouraged and we want to make available the vaccine, no one will be mandated uh, to take the vaccine. When schools had to pivot to digital instructions during the pandemic, they found out fast that some kids cannot connect because they don't have computers or broadband. Former Governor Jeb Bush says the digital divide is real and we need to deal with it. COVID has been a stress test for this nation's ability to reach 100% of our students, and we're failing. Today, millions of students sit on the wrong side of the digital divide. This is an injustice that we need to address, and now. The government invested billions of dollars connecting schools and libraries with high-speed internet. One suggestion is to turn those facilities into neighborhood Wi-Fi hubs. Business owners throughout Florida want the legislature to immunize them from COVID liability lawsuits. Chief Financial Officer Jimmy Petronas is leading the charge. A piece of legislation that's going to inoculate the whole entire state. And it's kind of a, a funny choice of words considering what we're talking about today with the pandemic. Because that's what we're trying to do today. We're trying to create a solution that will fix the entire state's concerns when it comes to liability protection. And thanks to the COVID crisis, businesses in Florida are also facing an increase in the price for unemployment insurance next year. Jeffrey Epstein is dead, but the lawsuit over his secret plea deal with a Miami prosecutor is alive and well. The case is being heard today at the Federal Appeals Court in Atlanta. We'll also have your daily calendar of political events and check in with a Florida man in a sticky situation. He's accused of threatening another Florida man's life because the guy wasn't charging enough for sugarcane juice. And now the top stories on Sunrise for Thursday, December 3rd. On this date in 1989, there was a summit of superpowers on the island of Malta, where U.S. President George Bush and Soviet leader Mikhail Gorbachev declared an end to the Cold War. December 3rd is also the International Day of People with Disabilities. More than one billion people in the world have a disability, including almost three million Floridians. The health department reported 98 more fatalities from COVID-19 Wednesday. That raises the death toll to 19,012. One of the latest victims is a member of a prominent political family in Key West. Cheryl Cates was a real estate agent, a volunteer at Key West Charities, and the wife of Monroe County Commissioner Craig Cates. She died at a Miami hospital at the age of 67. Her husband and daughter are still in the hospital with COVID-19. One day after we broke the million mark, the state reported almost 10,000 new cases of coronavirus. Florida's total has reached 1,018,160, and that's only the official number. The CDC says the actual number could be as much as 25% higher. Governor Ron DeSantis did not meet with reporters Wednesday to talk about the casualty count, but last night his press office posted a three-minute video on YouTube saying vaccines are coming and seniors in nursing homes and long-term care will be first in line. Next week, we anticipate an FDA approval for the Pfizer vaccine, and we believe the following week we'll see FDA approval for the Moderna vaccine. These combined will be able to vaccinate roughly 20 million Americans by the end of December. And of course, Florida, we want to get as much vaccine for our citizens as possible, but we know we will not, nor will any state, have enough to vaccinate everyone right off the bat. 
So we've had to set priorities. And so Florida is going to prioritize as follows. Uh, the top priority will be our residents of our long-term care facilities. They are at the greatest risk, and this vaccine could have a tremendously positive impact on them. Uh, number two will be healthcare workers who are in high risk and high contact environments. And number three, to the extent we have enough, we want to start getting it out into the broader 65 and over community, as well as those who have significant comorbidities. Now, importantly, while we are encouraged and we want to make available the vaccine, no one will be mandated uh, to take the vaccine. As of Wednesday, there were 4,248 COVID patients at Florida hospitals. That is a substantial increase from what the state was reporting last month. The COVID crisis forced schools to turn to what's known as virtual learning, and that's when people ran headlong into a problem known as the digital divide, the gap between the haves and the have-nots when it comes to computers and broadband internet access. Former Florida Governor Jeb Bush says we need to fix that. COVID has been a stress test for this nation's ability to reach 100% of our students, and we're failing. Today, millions of students sit on the wrong side of the digital divide, either because they live in a community without high-speed internet or because their family can't afford it. They can't easily participate in remote learning. This is an injustice that we need to address, and now. Today's internet is essential to learning, and even when COVID is behind us, we will still need to address the digital divide. Right now, roughly 9 million K-12 students and 400,000 public school teachers lack reliable internet access required for learning. We're creating a system of digital haves and have-nots in the classroom. What America needs is a digital infrastructure plan suited to our economy, akin to President Dwight Eisenhower's 1956 Interstate Highway Act, a sweeping plan to create and support technology-neutral broadband access, such as mobile and fixed wireless, cable, fiber, and satellite, with a special focus on rural and underserved communities. Bush was speaking at Edpalooza 2020, a virtual conference organized by his Tallahassee-based Foundation for Excellence in Education. He was joined by Larry Irving, the guy who came up with the phrase digital divide back in the 90s. We're not just talking about the digital divide, we're talking about digital poverty. And that's what's the problem right now. We have 40% of um, black and brown workers have lost one source of income. And we're seeing literally tens of thousands of, city, of, of students just in New York City alone, my hometown, who don't have access to a laptop. So what I would do if I were benevolent despot, if, if I got called by the administration to come back in for this transition, I would ensure that every student that needed a laptop or other computing device had a voucher that allowed his or her parent to go into a school or to a store and get a, a computing device to help that child. And there's one other thing I would do. I would make sure that every school and library um, that's presently connected to the internet was mapped so that we had an understanding where they all were. Because we've spent billions of taxpayer dollars to connect schools and libraries, I would also look at the efficacy of putting an antenna on top of every one of those schools, every one of those libraries, and see if we couldn't create community networks that would allow people to have access to those networks for free. There is an opportunity. We've already spent that money. We're seeing it happen in places uh, in Utah, in California, where people are using existing investment to give people access to neighborhood quality broadband using wireless services. There are sparsely populated areas in Florida and the rest of the country where broadband is still not available because it's not worth it for private companies to build the infrastructure. Bush says it's up to government to make it happen, and he compares this to the interstate highway system. We've been talking, gosh, for the last 10 years about infrastructure weeks. Like every week's an infrastructure week and nothing happens. And now I think it's time to look at this as a long-term investment. 
If we're serious about economic justice and economic equity, then we need to create a digital footprint that allows everybody to access it. And the learning losses that have taken place in last semester and this semester, and perhaps going forward even more, the lack of accountability is tragic. You can't overcome the lack of uh, understanding of math achievement and being able to read at a young age. And so I think this is the time for presidential leadership, congressional leadership. What I'm amazed at is there is huge support in philanthropy, in the business community, local governments, state governments, and hopefully Washington uh, once we get beyond the, you know, the turmoil of the, of the next few weeks, that there's a broad consensus to act. And my suggestion is that we seize the moment because, gosh, even when we agree, it seems like it's really hard for our country to move forward. Now we have to, I think, cast that aside and, and create a very creative long-range strategy to make sure that we deal with this issue. The three-day Edpalooza 2020 virtual conference concludes today. The Florida Chamber of Commerce is warning its members they'll have to pay more for unemployment insurance next year. Blame it on coronavirus. The state has paid almost $19 billion to more than 2 million unemployed Floridians since the pandemic began. Most of that money came from the feds, but the state had to chip in about $3.7 billion of its own dollars, and they only had $4 billion in the unemployment bank to begin with. The annual rate adjustment is typically announced by the Department of Revenue, but it was the Chamber of Commerce that sent the release to the news media about the change. This year's surge in the unemployment rate also changed the benefits for next year. Workers who lost their jobs this year could only get 12 weeks' worth of unemployment. Next year, you can get up to 19 weeks' worth of benefits. But they're still some of the stingiest in the country, a maximum of 275 bucks per week. The increase in rates for unemployment insurance is just one of many problems facing Florida businesses as they struggle to reopen and stay open. But it is certainly not the biggest problem. That story is next. But first, a word from the sponsors. You are listening to the Sunrise Podcast from Florida Politics, and we are much obliged. As the number of COVID-19 cases are increasing, the potential collision of COVID-19 and the flu virus could lead to a new word Floridians do not want to use, twindemic. That is why Florida Blue, the Florida Hospital Association, and the Florida Medical Association have joined forces to encourage Floridians to get their flu vaccine today. Visit floridablue.com, fha.org, or flmedical.org to learn more and support a flu-free Florida. Welcome back to Sunrise. Jimmy Petronas and his family own a restaurant in Panama City Beach called Captain Anderson's. He's also Florida's chief financial officer, and Petronas is trying to round up support in the legislature for a bill that would protect business owners, like himself, from lawsuits over COVID-19. I have business owners reaching out to me every single day, telling me their struggles that they're facing because of COVID-19. And the single largest concern is whether or not they were going to be able to reopen after COVID-19. If you're a business trying to do business in the state of Florida right now, it's a little bit frightening because of the fear of what COVID-19 litigation could do to you. We're already seeing trial balloons go up as litigation is, is developing with McDonald's, with Walmart, with Amazon, all facing litigation due to COVID-19. We've got an environment, unfortunately, where sue and settle tactics become part of the norm. You get some activist judges, and ultimately what you'll see is the cost of business going up. You'll see insurance rates go up as the flood gate of lawsuits come in from, you know, attorneys that go after smaller businesses. 
we can't let that happen. And especially we can't let it happen in Florida. We must get tourism back up and running. We must improve overall consumer confidence in order to drive people back into our businesses. That means Tallahassee must lead. That means we must provide our small business owners the confidence that they can reopen without the fear of being sued by unscrupulous attorneys. It's uh, there's not a there's not a playbook on the shelf that we can go. We can't go to to Barnes and Noble and buy a book off the shelf that says how do you survive a pandemic and and bring your businesses back online and save people's lives. Uh, but you know what? That's what we're going to do right now. We're going to go back. We're going to work to Tallahassee. We're going to put our shoulder into it, and we're going to come back with a meaningful solution of protection for small businesses in order to allow our people to get back to work and save the state's economy and save lives. Petronas made these remarks at the Blue Gill Seafood Restaurant in Gainesville, where Chef Bert Gill is doing his best to stay in business. He says protection from COVID lawsuits would certainly help. We had 62 people who worked with us, and we want to move forward. We want to grow. We, we want to get back to work on a daily basis, extend our hours, get back to contributing in community the way that we still do. We need some protection. We're really hurting. It's been a long road. The idea for us is that we, we need some help. We need some help from our local government, our state government, our federal government. Some has been given, and we're enormously grateful for it. We're enormously grateful for the guests who still, still support us. My coworkers who show up every day. Uh, the people who had to be laid off and we brought back and the sacrifices they made. Now that being said, litigation is just another threat that hangs over my head. The piggy bank's empty. You know, we, we've drained everything to keep going, to make payroll. It goes on a credit card sometimes. It's really, really tough. What we're looking for is not handouts, but someone to have our back a little bit and protect us from some of the things that, we're out, that are out of our control. We take care of our guests. We wanna have a safe environment for our coworkers. We wanna follow the rules. We want to contribute to the relief and the end of this virus. The past is the past. We really are looking forward to the future. And we know that this is, this is right ahead. Things are going to get better. We want some protection from liability, and I know that my state legislator is capable of providing that for us. One of the lawmakers Chef Gill is counting on is State Senator Keith Perry of Alachua County. Perry says big companies can take care of themselves. He's more concerned about small businesses that are locally owned and operated. When I grew up in Gainesville 40, 50 years ago, you drive down a road in Gainesville, every single business was owned by a mom and pop. We had a JCPenney's and we had a Sears. Outside of that, everything was owned by individuals. Now, almost everything is owned by large corporations. And while they need protection too, we're not out to protect the Publixes and the Walmarts. We're out to protect the small businesses that work and, and have a backbone for this economy and for this area. And it's not only just an economic thing. If you think about working in a small business, you have an opportunity to own a business, but you also have people who work for you that can move up in management and do things, and there's creativity in, involved in that, that we lose in the large corporations. And the ones that are going to be hurt the most, if we don't do some liability on this, is the smallest businesses. The public says they may not like it, they may kick and scream, believe me, they're not going to go out of business from this. The small ones will, and a lot of them already have. And so it's important that we do this, and we're not out to protect people who do egregious acts, any business that does us, any business owner, we're not out to do that. But we are out to protect people when they do what's right, but they're being sued uh, potentially anyway by a cottage industry that pops up uh, to do this and take advantage of a system. So we're going to work hard. I think it's important uh, for us as a community and as a state to make sure we do everything possible to protect 
uh, citizens and protect small businesses. And we're going to do that. We're going to go up there and fight the fight. It's going to be a battle because there's a lot of money at stake. The trial attorneys that make a lot of money on these things. So there's going to be a battle. The battle is not about you. It's not about the business. Their battle is about money. And that's all it is in there. They can say we're for the people. They're not for the people unless you have a lot of insurance or you got somebody else with a lot of money. Republican leaders in the Florida legislature say they support some form of immunity from COVID liability lawsuits. As always, the devil is in the detail, and there are no detailed plans in the legislature yet. Notorious sex offender and child predator Jeffrey Epstein may be dead, but the legal fight continues. The 11th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals in Atlanta hears arguments today in a lawsuit filed by one of his many victims. Courtney Wilde has spent the past decade trying to overturn a secret non-prosecution agreement approved by the former U.S. attorney in Miami. She claims that deal violated the Federal Crime Victims' Rights Act because she and the other victims were never informed of the agreement in advance and had no opportunity to oppose it. Under that 2008 agreement, Epstein pleaded guilty to two prostitution charges in state court in exchange for immunity from federal prosecution. That deal allowed him to escape a possible life sentence in prison. It also infuriated the victims. He was arrested again last year after reporting by the Miami Herald led to renewed scrutiny of the plea deal. Epstein, who had a home in Palm Beach County, died in a rather suspicious and, shall we say, convenient suicide last year while in a New York jail after he'd been arrested on sex trafficking charges involving minors in Florida and New York. Your calendar of events begins at 8, a meeting of the trustees at Florida International University. Those are the committee meetings at 8. They have a full board meeting at 2. Trustees at Florida A&M University meet in committee at 8.30. That's followed by a board meeting at 10, where they'll consider a contract extension for President Larry Robinson. Trustees at the University of Central Florida will meet at 8.30 in Orlando. At 9, Associated Industries of Florida starts a two-day conference in Orlando. They'll hear from several state lawmakers, including Senate President Wilton Simpson and House Speaker Chris Sprouls. Trustees at the University of Florida meet at 9 in Gainesville. The Revenue Estimating Conference meets at 9 to analyze issues in the Public Education Capital Outlay Program, better known as PICO. The Agency for Healthcare Administration holds an online event at 10 to discuss trends in health information technology. The Supreme Court releases weekly opinions at 11. The Board of Pharmacy meets by conference call at 1. And at 3.30, Paul Renner, the new rules chairman in the Florida House, will take part in an online event by the Daytona Regional Chamber of Commerce to talk about business issues in the legislature and Congress next year. Officials from the Florida and U.S. Chambers of Commerce will also be taking part. Finally today, a Florida man is accused of threatening the life of another vendor in Key West because he was undercutting him on the price of sugarcane juice. 36-year-old Joan Torres Quinones was charging 3 bucks for juice and was upset that another vendor was only charging $2. He told the guy to raise his price and lifted his shirt to reveal a handgun. Too bad for Florida man that the whole thing was being recorded. After watching the video, deputies charged him with aggravated assault with a weapon, concealed carry of a firearm without a license, and improper exhibition of a weapon. That's it for this episode of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg in Tallahassee, inviting you to join us again tomorrow as we plumb the depths of Florida politics.